You can be seated. And if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We are um, we're going to take another week and what I've said is a detour um, from the letter of 1 Peter. Um, I said last week, but sometimes when I take trips, I like to take my family or whoever's with me on a little bit of a detour because I think there's something that's worth seeing on our way before we get back to our destination. And what I've said is that uh, I want to take a couple weeks at least to talk about um, what I've just called the pandemic posture. Um, and so uh, because I've noticed that all of our, our feathers are ruffled already and when we get back to First Peter, he's going to ruffle our ruffled feathers a little bit more. And so, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1 and reading through verse 5. This is God's Word. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is God's word. Would you pray with me and ask his blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, it is with this as our ask, our prayer. Cause us to see wonderful things in your law. Open our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and his salvation. Help us, Lord, to see and hear his voice that with the rushing power of the waves of his voice that you might demolish rocks in our heart. And then by the sweet whisper of your spirit that we would hear our Savior's voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, um, we seem to see, I'm sure you've experienced, a lot of our conflict just nationally coming to a head. And we've, I'm sure you've experienced it in our own lives, and the detour that we've said we're following is to create a different posture for dealing with our disagreements with each other, because many of our different political visions seem to be coming to a head right now and ruffling already ruffled feathers. And oh yeah, by the way, we're also in a election season, which already heightens many of those things, especially amongst God's people, who oftentimes come to different conclusions about what might be best for our country. And here's what I think is ruffling the feathers the most. It's our sense of powerlessness. There's a lot of uncertainty. We feel powerless against it. There's a pandemic roiling through our world, and we feel powerless against it. We're in the midst of a political season, and we feel powerless, wondering this question, who is going to win because we know that whoever holds power and exerts their power gets to shape reality and so we are afraid 
And oftentimes I think this is the problem with our disagreements. We bring the world's influence into our disagreements and it becomes about exerting power. This is what one author says. He asks this question, what is good? His answer, everything that heightens the feeling of power in man, the will to power, power itself. That's what's good. Exerting power, in other words. What's bad? Everything that's born of weakness. What is happiness? The feeling that power is growing, that a resistance is overcome, not contentedness, but more power. That is what is good, not peace, but war, not virtue, but fitness. That was Nietzsche. But as ideas, if you've never read him, which you probably haven't, ideas always have legs and they move their way into popular culture. And so we have political unrest and protest movements. We don't debate ideas, but instead revolution is the badge of honor. Winning the media war is the way to get ahead with our agendas. And if someone gains power, cancel them out because that's the way the weak exerts their power. But that, my friends, doesn't just work itself out into the broader culture. That finds its root in our own hearts. How can I win? Now listen to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek win. The meek are the ones who are going to rule one day and give, be given the gift of the nations, the entirety of the world inherited by Jesus is going to be given to the meek. What's the meek then? It's the strangest thing I think you've heard all week and we are probably used to hearing a lot of strange things that cause us to go, what? But perhaps I think the, strong, the strangest thing that we've heard all week is that the meek are the ones who are going to inherit. They're the ones who will win because Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Well, what is meek? Well, the Greek word that's often translated as meek here is usually translated as humble or gentle. Whatever pejorative vision you have in your head right now for what a meek person is, is probably close. D.A. Carson explains it this way, meekness is the controlled desire to see the other person's interests advance instead of your own. Each man tends to assume without thinking that he is the center of the universe. Therefore, he relates poorly to the other six billion who are laboring under the same delusion. But the meek man sees himself and all others under God, and he doesn't think more highly of himself than he ought to. Therefore, he is able to relate well to others. Or as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Peter himself, when he's teaching his people how to live in a world that is growing increasingly hostile to the church and just 
a few years after Peter writes his letter, the emperor is hanging Christians on sticks and lighting them on fire in his garden so he can see at night. That's the kind of pressure that's coming on the church. To them, as we will see later in 1 Peter 3, Peter says this, In your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it in meekness and respect. Meekness is the one who is brave and secure enough to be gentle and let others win. Meekness is not the milk toast coward. Cowardice is just another version of pride as is fighting. They're just two sides of the same coin. Meekness is more like the rock who's holding a little kitten that bites him. And he could unleash all of his power and strength to put it in its place, but he knows it's just scared, and so he uses his strength to secure the kitten from harm and protect it, even from itself. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, there's probably more beauty, more, there's no more beautiful quality in a Christian than meekness. It enhances manliness, it adorns femininity. It's it's the result of a rough-hewn jewel that's been polished by grace. So how do we get there? Well, Jesus in these Beatitudes, as we often call them, is, is giving us steps. Notice that this is the third of the Beatitudes. And the cure, Jesus is saying, for the problem of, of pride and fighting and not doing disagreement well, because as we said last week, disagreement is just part of life as we're trying to figure out what's best. Not everything is equally clear, and therefore we need to learn how to disagree with meekness. And the goal is not to think more of yourself, but less. That's the cure, ultimately, is to think less of yourself. The secret sauce that makes it possible to pursue meekness and make less of yourself is to know that in Christ, as a sinner, God has made much of me. And so Jesus says, blessed are the meek. That word blessing in English is a little bit different than it's being used here. Blessing in English tends to mean it's a gift that fills a void. But bless or blessed in the Bible has a much richer meaning. For instance, people often bless God. They're not giving him something that he lacks. For instance, in Psalm 103, David writes, Bless the Lord, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. David is obviously not giving God something that God is lacking or needs to be improved in God's existence. What David is saying is this, Lord, as I look at you, I approve of you with great delight. My heart of hearts sees your beauty and blesses you. It delights in you. 
That's closer to what Jesus is saying when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He is saying God approves from his heart of hearts and delights in those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn are the one that causes God to make much of in his own being. If you really want to see the heart of God, see what he delights in, what he blessed. God does not make much of those who make much of themselves. So here's the progression. Because meekness isn't first. Jesus starts us on a pathway to be delighted in by God with three stops on his journey towards meekness. And meekness is the third stop. Stop one. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he's not talking about the physically poor here, but the spiritually poor, the poor in spirit. Poor means more than just a little lacking. Poverty is when you are so impoverished that you are in a dungeon of oppression and can't get yourself out. A student who can go to mom and dad because they need a few more dollars in order to buy something that they really don't need but just would like, that's not poverty. Poverty is when you are so destitute that you are in an oppressed state and those who are poor in spirit have no resources of their own. The poor in spirit know the problem isn't just that they are a little wrong here and a little wrong there, but are so spiritually impoverished, so oppressed by sin and incapable of escaping its dungeon on their own. Those who are poor in spirit, as a result, aren't surprised by sin in themselves or in others. Because anything that they've seen in others or experienced as a result of others, they've already seen in themselves. Adolf Eichmann, the German mastermind behind the Holocaust, right? he masterminded the Holocaust. After being convicted of murdering millions of Jews, in his closing statements famously said this, I am not the monster I made out to be. This mass slaughter is solely the responsibility of the political leaders. Contrast that. The same trial yelled the newer, it survived Eichmann's Holocaust. Who when coming face to face with Eichmann said this. In the courtroom, he began to sob uncontrollably and fainted. And when asked why, what happened, this is what he said, he became afraid of himself. And he was undone because he saw in Eichmann this, I am capable to do what he did. I'm exactly like him. And it undid him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, the man who's truly poor in spirit doesn't need to worry about his personal appearance and the impression he makes because he will always give the right impression. When given enough time, I often think when being criticized, this isn't the first thing that comes out of me, it's 
not always the second thing, but eventually the Lord will remind me that's not the worst about you that they've brought to you the table. And here's the promise of this beatitude that is just absolutely good news in such a way that it turns the world upside down. This is a promise. Blessed are those who catch Jesus' eye with approving delight. He doesn't turn away by that. He, he says, basically, what you are seeing in your poverty of spirit, I've seen all along, and that you are poor in spirit doesn't make me get rid of you. It makes me delight in you. And then he says this, you're so poor in You're so poverty-ridden by sin. Here's my kingdom. Stop two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's one thing to say I'm spiritually bankrupt and there's no good thing in me, but those who are truly poor in spirit, those who are genuinely poor in spirit, will also mourn over their sin. It is possible to feel your brokenness and not be broken over it. Mourning is the, the result of a great loss that's very dear. You drop a penny on the ground, you don't mourn over the loss of a penny. If you do mourn over the loss of a child or your dreams for that child, but in the Bible, mourning is even richer, it's deeper, and it gives us an insight to what Jesus is promising because when people mourn in the Bible, they are mourning because they have a sense that things are not the way they should be as a result of sin. For instance, in Isaiah 61, God comforts Israel because they are mourning his judgment on Jerusalem as Babylon has come and taken it away. And the people mourn. This is not the way it should be. And the other hand, the other extreme in Revelation 21, the new heavens and new earth, there's no mourning anymore because everything has been put right by Jesus. He's one. So there's no mourning there. And since these beatitudes are building on each other, Jesus is talking more about this, less just about mourning. The ones who will receive comfort are the ones who mourn because their sin has affected God in His holiness. It's offended Him. If the poor in spirit is an honest assessment of our spiritual bankruptcy, then mourning is the proper response before God. James Wright, you might wonder, how bad should I feel about my sin? James writes, Be wretched, mourn, and weep. You see, it's difficult to mourn over your sin because you have offended God and be angry at your brother or sister. But you see, this beatitude comes with two promises, not just one, but two promises, as they all do. The person who mourns over their sin is the one God delights in with approval, and he himself will comfort them. He will assure you that the sin 
you grieve over because it has offended him is also the sin that he paid for at the cross with the blood of his own son. He will not only prick our hearts in mourning, he will not leave us there, but comfort us. If you want the experience of having your soul filled with heart-delighting joy, joy that satisfies down to your bones, then take the pathway of mourning over your sin before the throne of grace. Because God won't leave you there. He will draw near to you as the God of all comfort. Psalm 30, verse 11. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes in mourning and clothed me with joy because for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is but for a lifetime. That then takes us to stop three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see what Jesus has been doing? He's been taking us downward in our view of ourselves and upward in God's view of those who are in Christ at the same time. This is always the dynamic of someone in whom ha- that you have the Spirit of Jesus downward in view of yourself, upwards in view of God's delight in me in Christ. And so the two always go hand in hand. Now, meekness. Meekness is the profound strength that is rooted in a conviction that while there is no sufficiency in me, there is great sufficiency in the God who loves me and cares for me. And as a result, meek people make much of others. It's the deeply settled ambition to see others' interests advance instead of your own. The the meek person talks little about themselves because honestly, there's just not a lot to say. Meekness is, is difficult because the world crushes meek people and rewards self promotion. The meek person will never get their 15 minutes of fame in this world, but they will catch the eye of Jesus. Consider Zacchaeus, the wee little man, so small and insignificant that he crowds were crushing him out, and he had to climb a tree just to be able to catch a glimpse of Jesus. But in the mass of the crowds that were so big that a little man couldn't even see the Savior, Who does Jesus see but the little man in the tree? He doesn't just notice him. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over for dinner. I want to be with you. I've not only noticed you, but I want to be with you. Or consider the woman of Nain who just lost her little boy and a crowd of mourners were passing by Jesus. Just a traffic procession of sadness before his eyes. And he notices one person. And Luke says, he saw her in her meekness. And he had compassion 
on her. He raises her son from the dead. It's a different power system in the kingdom of God. Self-promoters will make millions that will be consumed with fire when judgment comes. But the meek will win and inherit the whole earth. Because while no one else was watching, Jesus' gaze was fixed on them like a star-crossed lover who can't take his eyes off the beauty of meekness. You want further proof that the meek will inherit the earth? Look at Jesus, because this is a proven path. Jesus was the most meek man that ever lived. Before him, it was Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth. It's written of him in Numbers. But you know, there's one passage in the Gospels where Jesus speaks of his own heart. One passage. Most of the time, he's speaking of the Father. But there's one time when he says, I want you to know my heart. And this is what he says. I'm meek. That's what he wants you to know. I'm meek. So take my yoke upon you because I'm gentle and lowly. I am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. And as he was killed, the world takes advantage of meek people, if you haven't noticed yet. It's why one of the reasons we're so allergic to it. One of the reasons is because of our own sin. The other is because the world's system opposes the meek. And you know, in the one meek man they killed, but he's now been rewarded by the Father. He was given the new heavens and new earth. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has a place in his father's house and he's gone there to prepare a place for the meek. And all of his inheritance he will give. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. You've come to see that you have no rights or deserts. You've come to realize that no one can harm you. They can't take anything away because you have been secured in Christ and He has your, the delight of your eye, His eyes is on you. You can't lose anything by taking the pathway of meekness. He goes on, When a man truly sees himself, he knows nobody can say anything to him that is too bad. You need not worry about what men may or say or do. You know you deserve it all and more. And I would add to that, you also know that God has given to you what you do not deserve, but what Jesus deserved. And you inherit. Let me close with a fable I borrowed from another. Once upon a time, there was a frog lived up into the north. He wanted to go south for the winter with the birds. And so he saw the swans flying south every fall, or the geese, pick your bird. 
And he shivered in the snow and he thought that where they're going is so much better. And so he said, I, I want to go with you, but I can't fly. And he thought, I know what I'll do. I've got a great idea. Let me get a stick, and if the two of you will help me, I can go with you. You could keep the ends of the stick in your beasts and beaks, and I'll hang on to the middle of the stick, and we'll together get out of this miserable weather. And so the two of the, two of the swans agreed, and they helped, and it worked beautifully for thousands of miles. And once they got over the hills of North Carolina, a farmer looked up and he saw the frog holding on to the stick and he said, that's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. I wonder whose idea that was. And the frog, quite proud of this incredible idea, opened his mouth to tell him and fell to his death. Well, the way of Jesus is so much better. Because if you open your mouth to confess, Lord, I've sinned against you. You won't fall to your death. You'll fall into the arms of Jesus. He will welcome you with great delight. If you open your mouth to make much of others and him, you will find freedom. We will find freedom to no longer insist on our own way, not to win whatever battle that we find ourselves in, not to protect ourselves or defend ourselves, but to do this, to outdo one another in showing honor. Because at my worst, the gospel says, God has given you great honor in his kingdom. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your table, we do so because though we were weak, yet you're strong, Lord Jesus. We come to your table as your people. You are the God of all righteousness and judgment we can't stand before you outside of christ but in christ we stand as poor wretched sinners with boldness and confidence for he died the death we should have died and lived the life we couldn't live and so we ask you lord for the grace to bear with one another in love you are not petty or quick to anger but we often are and so give us grace that we might forgive one another 70 times 7. And we pray for our government leaders in our county and state. We pray for Mayor Ogles and Governor Lee. Give these men wisdom to lead well through this pandemic. Surround them with wise counselors. And, O oh Lord, of the plagues, we beg you to protect our flock from the coronavirus, particularly the more vulnerable amongst us. And please, Lord, sovereign Lord, have mercy on us and bring a vaccine soon. And in the midst of this trial, Holy Spirit, blow with fire through our county, bringing revival. Your best work is often done when men and women feel our brokenness the most. And so out of the turmoil, bring the new fruit of conversions. Grow your church. 
Along those lines, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring us a church planter so that the people of the small towns around us who need the gospel in these dark days might hear your life-giving good news and be set free with joy. And Lord Jesus, as we move into the lives of our neighbors who are afraid, disoriented, and frustrated, may we move in with the good news of your gospel. We long to see conversions happening during these dark days. Lastly, our Savior, as your disciples, we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.